time to rest, time to refresh, no stress To the city point Giving him your best, nothing like the rest Passing every test, you know he's the one, yeah Taking time to rest, time to refresh, no stress To the city point Giving him your best, nothing like the rest Passing every test, you know he's the one, yeah Taking time to rest, time to refresh, no stress To the city point Giving him your best, nothing like the rest Passing every test Good morning, City Point Church. Good morning, good morning. I'm happy to join you this morning. I know that for many of us, church looks a little bit different than what we're used to. It looks a little different than what we're accustomed to, but we are believing strongly for the glory of the Lord to rest in us and among us as we dive deeper into his word. As I understand, um, City Point is really catering to the women this month. They are catering to the women, the Annas, the Debras, the JLs, they are really catering to the women of God this month. So we want to be sure um, that we just dive into what God is saying and really understand what the next move looks like for us through him. So we're going to go quickly into the word of God. We're going to go to the book of Judges. We're going to go to Judges 4. And while you find it on your phone or in your computer, in your home, in your office, wherever you find yourself worshiping from today, um, I just want to take the opportunity to thank Pastor Davis and his wife and the entire City Point family for being beautifully hospitable um, and for welcoming us into your space this morning. Um, So we're going to dive into the word of God. We're going to go to Judges 4. We'll begin reading at verse 4, um, and we're going to do quite a bit of reading, so I just ask that you journey with me this morning. Father, we thank you this morning. We thank you for the word that you have got laid out before us. We thank you, Father, that you are already speaking to our hearts. You are already readying our hearts for what you have to say to us this morning. We thank you that every heart watching this video, watching this stream, watching this service, I thank you that every single heart is good ground. I thank you that every single heart is good ground. And Father, as we lay the seed, we thank you for the harvest that will sprout as we water with your instruction. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Judges 4, beginning at verse number 4, and it reads as thus, Deborah, a prophetess and the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at that time. She would sit under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the Israelites went up before her to settle disputes. Uh, 6. She summoned Barak, the son of Abinoam from Kadesh in Naphtali, and said to him, Hasn't the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you, go deploy the troops on Mount Tabor and take with you 10,000 men from the Naphtalites and Zebulonites. And I will lure Sisera, commander of Jabin's army, his chariots and his infantry at the Wadi Kishon to fight against you. And I will hand him over to you. Eight, Barak said to her, if you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. Deborah then says, I will gladly go with you. She said, but you will receive no honor on the road you are about to take because the Lord will sell Sisera to a woman. So Deborah got up and went with Barak to Kadesh. Let's skip down to verse 14. Then Deborah said to Barak, go, this is the day the Lord has handed Sisera over to you. Hasn't the Lord gone before you? 
So Barak came down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. The Lord threw Sisera and all his charioteers and all his army into a panic before Barak's assault. Sisera left his chariot and fled on foot. Barak pursued the chariots and the army as far, of, as, far as Herosheth of the nations and the whole army of Sisera fell by the sword. Not a single man was left. Last few verses. Meanwhile, Sisera had fled on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite because there was no peace. There was peace between King Jabin of Hazor and the family of Heber the Kenite. There was peace between King Jabin of Hazor and the family of Heber the Kenite. Jael went out to greet Sisera and said to him, come in my lord, come in with me, don't be afraid. So he went into her tent and she covered him with a blanket and he said to her, please give me a little water to drink for I am thirsty. And she opened a container of milk, gave him a drink and covered him again. Then he said to her, stand at the entrance to the tent. If a man comes and asks you, is there a man here? Say no. While he was sleeping from exhaustion, Heber's wife, Jael, took a pit tag, grabbed a hammer and the peg into his temple and drove it into the ground and he died. Last verse again, Heber's wife, Jael, took a tent peg, grabbed a hammer and went silently to Sisera. She hammered the peg into his temple and drove it into the ground and he died. If there is a subject that we would take today, my charge to you women of God this morning is simply sister act. If you don't do anything else, sister act. Take on what the Lord has given you. Take on the instruction that has been given to you and act on it. The victory that is going to be delivered to you is going to be very largely based on what it is that you do with what you have. So let's jump into the text. I find it not odd that men and women have very different perspectives. We are different species. We think differently. We do things differently. We approach things differently. We approach our thought processes differently. If I know any woman, like I think I know any woman, every woman has looked at her husband and said, why did you do that? What were you thinking? What made you do that? But it's because our thought processes have a tendency to be wired differently. There's an analogy that I like to use around how men and women think, and it is as simple as this. It is first thing in the morning, and your children are running around the house. As your children are running around the house, your child walks past the kitchen table and knocks over a glass of milk. Immediately, what does the woman do? The woman says, there is glass on the floor, and I don't want anybody to get cut. The kid has spilled milk on his shirt. I need to change his shirt. There is milk on me. I need to change my clothes. I'm late for work. That was the last of the milk. I need to go to the grocery store. Where is the mop? Because somebody's going to slip. Do you know what men see? The floor is wet. The floor is wet. The man in the house is going to grab the towel, your nicest towel in the bathroom. He's going to throw it over the milk. He's going to scoop the glass, the milk up in one scoop. I can't use that towel no more. And then they are going to call that problem solved. But they have not solved the 19 backup problems that have gone through our minds as women. But here's the thing. Both perspectives are needed. Both perspectives are necessary. Both perspectives are essential because they offer different sets of details and solutions. Sometimes all of your list of problems are not needed. Sometimes all of the details are not needed and that's where we need the big picture, the overview that the male perspective may grant. But there are other things that require our details, right? 
There are other things that require our details. And there is something about the wonder of creation called woman. There is something about the wonder of creation called woman that is the ability to multiply whatever she is given. Somebody said, if you give a wife a house, she'll give you a home. If you give her children, she'll make them up into businessmen and businesswomen. Whatever you give at a woman, she multiplies it. It is the ability to juggle, juggle what is thrown at her. Only a woman can cook, check homework, do hair, check the traffic, make sure the husband is on the way home at the same time. Nobody, ladies, can do that quite like you can. There is the, the ability to tackle what piles up before her. There is a, a businessman who has argued that the art of multitasking does not exist, but he hasn't met you. He has argued that the art of multitasking does not exist, but he has not met you who has had to do nine and ten things effectively at one time. So it is important that we understand that while I believe in many forms of gender equality, truly, I do. I have no issue with uh, admitting and really owning up to the fact that there are some things that I'm simply better suited for. I can change a tire. I don't want to. I can pay the bills. I don't want to. I can probably do the manual labor, but I don't want to. And so while there are some things that require the authority and the strength of the male species, there are some things that simply require a woman's touch. There are some things that require because I absolutely subscribe to what the scripture says that the man is the head. And there are some things that he is to take care of, that there are some things that he is to ownership, to take ownership over or to have lordship over. And I believe in the husband being the priest of the home. And in the same regard, I believe that there are some things that simply have to be nurtured by the wonder of creation called woman. Somebody say, I am a woman. Yeah, 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 yeah. In the text, we find that Deborah is what we consider to be the woman that God chooses. Deborah is who we consider to be the woman that God chooses. But then we also see JL at the end of the text really emerge as sort of a, uh, the same sort of heroine in this text, right? We see JL really emerge as somebody who is also actioning according to the will of God. So we have Deborah who is a judge and a prophetess. She is a wife. But she is also a judge and a prophetess, right? We're not keeping Deborah in a box this morning. She is a judge and a prophetess, and she is actually the only noted judge who is also deemed as prophetess as well. So we can note that in the scripture. But we have to um, look at Deborah as the everyday woman who is balancing the items at home, who is balancing the children, balancing the homework, balancing the household items, but also balancing the marketplace, balancing our own... I run departments at my job, right? I run departments at work. I am an entrepreneur. I handle my own business, but I am also a woman of God. I hear from heaven. I have an advantage in the boardroom that other people may not have. I have an advantage in the grocery store that people may not have because I balance home and I balance marketplace and I balance ministry. This is the entitlement. This is the engulfment of who Deborah is. So let's, in the text, let's explore the characteristics of the woman God chooses. There are three things that I really want to um, illuminate for you of the woman that God chooses. Firstly, the woman that God chooses gives the charge. She gives the charge. She is not afraid to make a decision. She is not afraid to say, this is what we need to do. She is not afraid to say, this is where we need to go. This is how far we need to go. Deborah understood, and this is what I love about her because sometimes as women, don't beat me up and don't get mad at me. Sometimes as women, we get a little out of control with our dominion. 
Somebody put us in charge and now can't nobody tell us nothing. That was very what's that? Can't nobody tell us. Yes. Now we get we get in charge and we, we get a position and we get a little power. And all of a sudden, we don't know how to yield to the powers that be. But I love that Deborah understood that giving the charge didn't mean that she needed to lead the charge. Giving the charge did not mean necessarily that she needed to lead the charge. What do you mean? I mean, women of God, that sometimes we have to let go of the need to be in the battle to win the war. We have to let go of the need to be seen on the front line standing. I, I need to let go of the iron fist, right? I need to let go of the need for people to know it was me. I need to let go of the people to, to need to know that it was me who said it, or it was me who decided, or it was I who made the call. Deborah was not afraid to give the charge, but she told the man, you take him. She told Barack, you lead it. They'll follow you. And sometimes we have to have the wisdom that it takes, but we have to give the authority to where the influence lies. We have to give the authority to where the strength lies and to understand that this is not giving your power away. Mandating somebody else to lead the charge is not giving your power away. So we're looking at here Deborah's wisdom versus man's natural and spiritual mandate to lead. Deborah's wisdom. Versus man's natural and spiritual mandate to lead. Understanding that one does not negate the other. If you know a sister in your life with a husband or a sister in your life who needs to let somebody lead, look at her, text her, send her an email, send her an IGDM and tell a girl, let that man lead. Let that man lead. Let him be in charge. Je uh, uh, Deborah, as both judge and prophetess, was equally as wise as she was anointed. You knowing everything does not mean anything if you don't know where to place your knowledge. Me knowing everything, I always talk about how wisdom plays out, is that wisdom is not knowing everything. Wisdom is knowing when to take notes, when to take charge, and when to take off. When to take notes, when to take charge, and when to take off. Old song would say you got to know when to hold them. You got to know when to fold up. You got to know when to walk away and when to run. That is wisdom. That's what we see Deborah really exhibiting here in the text, being equally as wise as anointed. She understood her role and maximized on her leadership, but she was not consumed with looking like the boss. She maximized her leadership, but she was not consumed with people knowing that she was the boss. Now, I always, in every text that I preach, I find a problem with the text, and I have a problem with this text. I have an issue with Barack today because Barack, after all this building you up, I've given Barack this charge. I have given his army this charge. This is what the Lord said, do. And you have trusted everything that came out of my mouth. You trusted me when I prophesied the car. You trusted me when I prophesied the business. You trusted me when I prophesied healing. But Barack, the Lord said, go up and fight. And Barack says, well, I'll only go if you go. I'll only go if, if are you going to go with me? Am I going to do what? I'll only go if you, if you leave. But if I tell you that God said something, we're looking at a literal commander of an army who was too timid, lacking faith and trust in God to do what you know God said do. To do what you know God said do. So Deborah looks at Barack because Deborah is a much better person than I am, right? Deborah is a much better person than me. If I tell you that the Lord said something, we've been in relationship 
time and time again. We've been working together. You have come to me for the word of the Lord. You have come to me to judge matters. And I say something and all of a sudden you don't trust it. In my mind, I will do it myself. I don't know a woman that has not said that. I know what I'm going to do. So I'll just do it. I, don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. But Deborah doesn't discourage Barack. She doesn't emasculate him, right? She doesn't snatch away his manhood from him. She doesn't discourage him. She gives him correction, but she still hands him the charge. What does Deborah tell him? Okay, you were too timid to go. And for that reason, I will go with you. Know that the Lord will not deliver any honor to you. The honor will be delivered to a woman. That he will deliver Sarah to the hand of a woman because you were too timid to go. But you still have to lead. You still have to go. You still have to lead the army. You still have to lead the charge. She tells him when it's time to go to battle. Women of God, you have to know your position. Know when to shift the charge when they resist. Somebody being afraid to go does not mean it's not time to go. Somebody being too timid to go does not mean you don't still need to execute the charge. We need to know when to shift. When do I shift the power without uh, snatching away, right, the authority of another? Barack and his army were timid. They were lacking faith in God, but she continued to give the charge. Somebody say she gives the charge. Secondly, she takes the opportunity. We're switching over now. We're going to pivot a little bit because after JL sends, after Deborah, excuse me, sends Barack off into armor, she tells Barack, okay, today is the day. This is the day that the Lord has gone before you to deliver Sisera over to you. This is the day we fight. This is the day we go to battle. But then Sisera steps away from even being chased by Barack and he runs into JL. He runs into JL. And I imagine him running into JL saying, this looks like a nice little house I can, I can stay in and I'll be safe here. She won't tell anybody I'm here. She won't tell anybody who I'm, who's looking for me. You know, she won't sell me out, if you will. Um, she, she, she won't call, as I heard my nephew say, the ops on me. She won't call the ops on me. She'll, she'll lay low. She'll keep a low profile for me. Um, but JL jumps on the opportunity to display an oversized faith and loyalty to God. Why? She jumps on this opportunity to display faith and loyalty to God, not to confront who she calls an enemy or who could be considered an enemy, right? She maximizes this opportunity to fulfill God's will. What do I mean? Technically, Cicero was no longer at war with JL's people. They were at peace. So for all intents and purposes, Cicera should have been safe in her house. He should have been safe there. He should have been able to find refuge there and have been fine. Technically, they were at peace. Cicera was a commander of the Canaanite army and they were under Canaanite oppression. So that explains the relationship there. But here's what we have to understand that although Cicera was not an enemy of the Canaanite and the Hazor people, he was not their enemy. He was an enemy of God's. And so now J.L. has to almost defy what her husband would have wanted done to honor what the Lord said do. To honor what the Lord wants to have happen. To honor, and, he, and here's the thing, because we live in a very socialite, socialistic community. We, we, we have social media on steroids, right? I want a lot of likes. I need people, I need to post content. I need to create content. I need to deliver what people want. But the fact of the matter is, we can never move away from the understanding that any enemy of God's is an enemy of mine. 
I can never move away from the under, I can like you a lot, but I can never veer from the understanding that an enemy of God's is an enemy of mine. While Cicero was not a direct enemy of her surroundings, she did not depend on her surroundings to judge his character. She didn't let her friends tell her who to trust. She didn't let her community tell her who to trust. She didn't let her uh, social media, she didn't let her advisors, she didn't let what she considered to be counsel veer her away from knowing who God enemy is so my question is this to you what do you do when God delivers his enemy to your door what do you do what is your action when God delivers his enemy to your door you're not an enemy to the world but an enemy of God's shows up at your door is God's enemy comfortable in your presence is God's enemy comfortable while you praying no devil, no witch, right? No enemy of God's should be comfortable if the presence of the Lord lives where I live. If the presence of the Lord abides in my home. If the presence of the Lord abides in me and I carry it where I go, no enemy of God should ever be able to really rest where I do. Because any enemy of God's is an enemy of mine. And what I don't need in this day and age is social approval to jump on God's opportunity. I don't need social approval to do what God said do. While Cicero was indeed at peace with the people of Kenai, this is what J.L. understood, that just because something is not disrupting your now doesn't mean it belongs in your future. It may not be bad now. Maybe it's not an enemy now. Maybe it's not a stumbling block now. Maybe it's not an issue now. But just because something is not disrupting your today does not mean that it belongs in your future. And too many of us, I'm afraid, are married to the thing that God hates. Too many of us are married to the thing that God has divorced. Too many of us are housing the thing that God has deemed homeless. Too many of us are housing the thing that God has deemed uh, to be cast away and to be deemed as reprobate or sealed away from him. But this is what discernment teaches us. To look past what others like and to take a second look at what others disregard. To look past what everybody is saying, yeah, let's do that, let's do that. And let's find the thing that everybody is turning their eye away from and say, why are we not doing that? Why are we not trying that? Why are we trusting this? Why are we not trusting this? This is how we sharpen our discernment. But the problem is, and the challenge is, is that to do this, you have to disregard some rules and you have to disregard some normalities within your immediate surroundings. If you look at the context and the context of the day that we're reading out of, the tradition was to protect and guard your guests at all costs. It was tradition that if someone showed up at your door in that day and age, that if somebody came and tried to kill them, you fought them for them. If they didn't have any food, you fed them. If somebody was chasing them, you hit them, which is why Cicero knew what to ask for when he got to J.L.'s door. He was not asking anything out of the norm. He knew to ask her for protection because it was their position. But here's the thing. God's push, women of City Point, God's push is about to cause you to disrupt social constructs and social norms. God's push is getting ready to cause you to break down what others have built up against the name of the Lord, even in the marketplace and even in your regular spaces. I'm talking now outside of the church. God's push is getting ready to disrupt what other people have called normal. But are you committed to discerning out God's enemy and making sure that no enemy can thrive in the presence of God? Making sure that no enemy can thrive in the presence of God. We're talking about JL, the woman that they were expecting to be timid. I expect that Cicera 
shows up at the house and he says, she looks like a nice little housewife. Smell good down the street. I smell dinner coming, you know, coming down the street. I smelt it down the street. You know how you coming home and it's just dusk and, and the street lights are coming on, right? And you can smell, you know, your mama cooking because the screen door is open. The front door is not closed, but the screen door is open. I imagine that's how Cesaro is approaching JL's home. It smells good in there. The house is well kept. It's clean. She knows what she's doing. She respects her husband. She is the wife, you know, of this king and she respects him. She will honor what his wishes will be. But what I love about JL was that she was not afraid to break culture with a little bit of strategy. She was not afraid to go against the culture with a little bit of strategy. And the thing about that is, is culture is probably most often the reason why we can't get out of cycles because we don't want to offend the culture. We don't want to offend the culture. We don't want to be canceled. We don't want to be the one on Twitter that they were praising to yesterday and today. Everybody is mentioning you and it's the beehive is putting bees under your comments, right? Nobody wants to offend the culture. But my question to you and my charge to you is, are you truly willing to betray the culture to break the cycle? Are you willing to betray the culture so that God's enemy cannot thrive in his space? Are you willing to betray the culture so that God's enemy cannot thrive in your space? And understanding that it will come with a little bit or a lot of bit of warfare and people will not understand it. But when you are called to break social constructs, you have to know what requires confrontation and know what requires strategy. When you are called to break social constructs, a fight is not going to fix everything. An argument is not going to fix everything. Making sure your enemy knows that you know what they're up to is not going to fix everything. I love that JL did not erect conflict with Cicera. She didn't see Cicera come down. She said, no, you can't stay here. I know what you want. I know what you're doing. She didn't even approach. She didn't, she didn't approach him like that. She let him come on in. She made him comfortable. He got there. He gets to the house and Cicera says, I'm tired. She says, lay down. She says, he says, I'm cold. She said, I got a blanket for you. He says, I'm thirsty. She said, I, I, can y'all have some water? She said, I'll do you better. I'll get you some milk. But she knew what she was doing. She was making them comfortable. She was making them sleepy. She was getting them real good and relaxed. And the problem is that as women, we'll understand this more than we want to admit. Praise the Lord. Um, but we can't defeat the enemy so many times because we're too busy arguing with him. We can't get ahead because we're too busy in confrontation. We can't get ahead because we're too busy trying to be right. We can't get ahead because we're too busy. We can't defeat the enemy because we're too busy in the middle of chaos instead of strategizing above it. Instead of strategizing around it. And the fact of the matter is, and this is why the scripture says obedience is better than sacrifice. The old church used to use that to get us to come to church on time. But the real reason why the scripture really says that obedience is better than sacrifice is because you wouldn't need to put forth so much effort if you maximized on the opportunity presented to you. I gave you an opportunity to do this. But when you don't do this, you got to sacrifice something before you circle back around to this. I gave you the opportunity to be this. But when you don't take on that opportunity, now, yeah, you got to sacrifice and circumvent to come right back around to where I was trying to bring you in the first place. So we wouldn't have to put forth so much effort. That's why the scripture says it's hard to kick against the prick. Why? Because the shepherd is trying to get you to do what is good for you anyway. But when you resist, you create a need. You create an unnecessary need for an altar you created unnecessary need for an altar 
Now you sacrificing for nothing. You all broke up for nothing. You're broken for nothing. Men have a tendency to have a one-track mind. And so I can understand why we hear men say, bro, it's on site. I get it. Because men have a one-track mind, right? But utilize your power as a woman to say, wait a minute. This ain't going to be hard. Wait a minute. What's the plan here? How do we think this through? How do we strategize, right? She gives the charge. She takes the opportunity. But lastly, and most simply, she uses her tools. The woman that God chooses uses what she has. The woman that God chooses understands that what she has is enough. The woman that God chooses understands that what she has is fully capable of executing what God has spoken to her. Don't you know that the Lord will not give you a charge and not have you ill-equipped to execute said charge? Don't you know that the Lord will not give you a standard you cannot meet? Don't you know that the Lord would not give you a charge that you cannot fully execute in excellence without breaking the sweat? Some of the things that God is bringing us into, because we will understand that there will always be another battle. There will always be another day. There will always be another charge, another instruction. But I just said this to my church a couple of weeks ago. I truly believe that God is bringing us into a space where we don't have to war for everything because we'll have the answers. People who go to war go to war because they don't have answers. People who fight go to war because they don't have solutions. But if I already have an answer, I can win the battle without having to war at all. This is what God is bringing us into. God, the woman that God chooses, she uses what she has. What does JL do? JL drives a nail through his temple, through his brain. She doesn't tussle with him. She doesn't wrestle with him. She doesn't argue with him. She doesn't confront him. She is not angry at him. She feeds him. She houses him. She shelters him. But she drives a nail through his brain. Why? Because we as women and as people of God in general have to learn to strategize from the top down. Whatever you can kill in the head, the body will follow it. The brain, the mind is what houses your thoughts and perspectives. And JL knew that if I can get him in his head, I'll kill the very thought of war. I'll kill the very thought of disagreement. I'll kill the very thought of chaos. I'll kill the very thought of work. And while we are strategizing to kill the body, if I can get the mind, the body will follow it. The body is only doing what the mind is telling it to do. The body is only doing what the mind is instructing it to do. And so to make sure that I don't have to tussle with your body, I'll make sure that the very thought of what you're trying to erect against the kingdom of God will not stand. I will make sure that the very perspective what you are trying to bring against the kingdom of God cannot and will not stand. Sis, this is why you have to act and you have to act efficiently. You have to act efficiently. This is why we cannot let comparison be the thief of our joy. This is why we have to know that our tools are enough. This is why we have to know that our tools have the capability and that in us possesses the capability to do what God needs to be done. Why is that? Understanding that the tools that you use will kill the very thought of oppression and defeat, right? But you defeating the enemy is not based on you using a popular tool, which is where JL could have easily gone wrong. JL could have said, I don't have a gun in this house. I got to kill him, but I don't have a sword. I got to kill him, but I don't have a battle axe. So what am I supposed to do? She had a tool, but it was not noteworthy. I imagine somebody saying, girl, what you going to do with that? 
What are you supposed to do? You ain't finna kill nobody with that. You put that down. What are you supposed to do with that? It was an area that she used, the tool that she used, did not come out of a weapon of war. It came out of her area of expertise. The tool that she used did not come out as a weapon of war. It came out of her area of expertise. J.L. said, I don't know how to fight wars, but I know how to pitch a tent. I don't know how to swing a sword, but I know how to put up a tent. And if I can drive a peg into the ground strong enough to keep this house up, I can drive a peg into you and do the will of God. If I can drive a peg into the ground strong enough to keep this house up, and I love that she did not wait for someone else's tool because it would have resulted in missed opportunity. Sis, the thing that I'm saying to you today, the bottom line for us here today is to act, go, do, be, pursue, do not wait. Don't use a tool that you're not familiar with. Don't use a tool that you don't know what you're doing. Don't use a tool you don't know how to handle. Don't use a tool that's going to slip out of your hands. Get the thing that you use every day and use it to the glory of God. You think that the tool is powerful because it's a popular tool, but I came to tell you that the regular thing that you're holding is not powerful because it's popular. It's powerful because you have it. It's powerful because it's in your hand. It's powerful because it's in your possession. It's powerful because you have it and you know what you're doing with it. And that is why what didn't work for others worked for you. That's why what didn't pan out for others panned out for you because you used your area of expertise. Not another day will I doubt the regular tool that I have in my hand because I have a tool that has been discounted and discredited time and time again, but it'll bring a king to his knees. I have a tool that has been discredited, but it brings kings to their knees. People who armies are chasing, I can kill them in their sleep without them noticing. People who armies are tracking down, I can bring them to their knees. I have to come out of the place where I'm trying to be powerful using somebody else's tool. You don't have to mimic what somebody else has. You don't have to mimic what somebody else does. What you have is enough. Wherever you are, say that to yourself. What I have is enough. The fact of the matter is you are too powerful to depend on somebody else's tool anyway. You are too powerful to depend on what somebody else has had, what somebody else has. So what is it time for you to do? What is next for me, Pastor Key? What is next in this journey? How do I utilize my tools? It is time for you to act and understand that luxury, the luxury of complacency, you have not been afforded that. The, 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 the luxury of complacency, you don't have enough of it. It costs too much. It costs too much for us to be complacent. It's costing us too much time. It's costing us our children. It's costing us our husbands. It's costing us the people of God. The, the complacency is not a luxury that you can afford. But there are two problems that keep us from really taking action as women. As I close and I'm done. Um, but there are two things that I have really seen stifle us as women from really taking action. A, I really don't know what action to take. I really don't know what to do next. I really don't know where to go next. I really don't know. I, I have something in my hand um, um, and I use it, but I don't know how to use it for this. 
I know I got something good going for myself, but I don't really know how to use it or how to act on the things. And this is where we seek out, right, the will of God, the voice of God. God, what are you doing? Present me with an opportunity to use the tool that you gave me so that I could see how it should be utilized, so that I could see how it should be used. But also, there are situations where past actions, I have acted in the past, right? I'm not lazy. I'm not the type of woman to not act. I'm not the type of woman to not do, but I've been bruised in the past. And the last time I tried to act, I got my hand hurt. The last time I tried to put my hand in something, I got my hand slapped. And so how do I move forward when my hands are bruised? How do I put my hands to work if they are bruised, if they are broken, if they are hurt? If I feel like I'm useless, if I feel like I'm, I'm not useful, if I feel like I'm not effective, how do I move forward when I don't know what to do? And even when I do know what to do, it hurt last time when I do know what to do, but it failed last time. And I knew it was the right thing to do when I do know what to do, but I stumbled last time. I didn't quite hit it at the level of effectiveness that I don't, but I want you to understand something that in your decision to act, my sister, the Lord is literally anointing your hands for the work and healing your hands from the bruise. He is anointing your hands for the work but he is healing your hands. I love the story about the lepers that talks about the one that that, that came back to say thank you. And, And he was healed, you know, right away. But there were some people who didn't know to do that. But they got healed as they went. They got healed as they went. They got healed in their decision to keep going. They got healed in their decision to keep trekking along, to keep moving forward. And that's my prayer for you today. Maybe the first time you didn't face it head on the way that you thought that you would, or you didn't face it head on the way that you thought that you should. But my prayer for you today is that you make a decision to keep going so that God can keep healing. You make a decision to keep moving so that God can keep healing. You make a decision to keep trekking, to keep moving, to keep pushing, to keep encouraging others, to keep motivating others because God wants to use your decision to heal what is bruised on the inside of you. God wants to use your decision to heal what is broken on the inside of you. I love that in verse 24, it says at the end of this text, it says that the hand of the children of Israel prospered. If I could rewrite this or if I could add to it, if I can place an addendum here, I would add that the hand of Israel prospered because of the hand of a woman. The hand of Israel prospered because of the decision of a woman, because of the actions of a woman. Understand this. Jael's name means mountain goat. Mountain goats produce milk. Deborah's name means bee. Bees produce honey. I want you to see yourself differently because when the scripture talks about the Lord bringing us into a land of milk and honey, we believe that the Lord is bringing us into a promise and that is true. But sis, as we close out this this series um, and this text of sister acting on what the Lord has done for you, or what the Lord would have for you to do, I want you to understand something. This time when somebody references the land of milk and honey, they will literally be talking about you in your full capacity. You are the land of milk and honey. You are the resource of milk and honey. You are the place of promise. You are the thing that people are waiting to get to before they see victory. You are the thing that people are waiting on before they can get to the other side of this, before they can get
get to the other side of trouble, before they can get to the other side of chaos or the other side of sickness, the other side of distress. The promise is you. The good thing is you. The good news is you. The land of milk and honey is you. Sister, don't be afraid to act. God bless you. Oh.